Good morning, everybody. Welcome to our uh, live stream of our worship service today. We're very glad to be with you, um, which was under different circumstances, but we're very thankful to, to be with you today. So welcome to Potomac Hills Presbyterian Church. Um, today, obviously, our worship is through the live stream, so I'd ask that you would find the lyrics to the worship songs that were included in the materials that Andrea sent out and use those to sing along. Our first song today is Angels We Have Heard on High, and what a glorious sound and song to start our worship. Sing with us, please. Now, my family and I had been planning to go to the family drive-in movie theater in Stevens City to see a triple feature of Christmas movies on the big screen. We had pre-purchased our tickets, arranged our schedules, and were looking forward to going as a family for an evening of holiday fun. And then this past Friday, I learned the terrible news that some well-loved members of our family had come down, of our church family, had come down with COVID. 
and that we were going to need to alter our regular Sunday church service. I was asked if I'd be okay to begin teaching the Titus Sunday school class a week earlier than planned as we needed to delay our congregational meeting. Also due to the decision yesterday afternoon to go live stream, uh, this morning, the, mor the, mu the music for this morning's worship service is going to need to be adapted for the occasion. And so all of a sudden, my going to the drive-in with my family seemed like less of a good option for me as I felt like I had a lot of work to do. I decided, however, that time with my family was important, not just for them, but for me as well. And so I decided to work as hard as I could up to the point of going to the drive-in and afterwards as well, but that I would trust God with my time and my efforts this morning and enjoy that evening with my family. Now, I'm not saying that to make an excuse for my shortcomings in the Sunday school class today or uh, for anything that might happen in the music service today, the worship service, but I am saying that because I think it is easy in this time of uncertainty to forget and to neglect what is important in our lives. We are live streaming our worship today. So far, the plan is to be back in person next Sunday, um, but who knows what a few days could bring. And so I want to encourage everyone to decide right now that whether we are in person or online next week, whether we're live streamed or pre-recorded, however you may feel best is for you to worship, that you will resolve in your hearts not to neglect time with your church family this family here at Potomac Hills Presbyterian Church. It is so easy and to be honest, sometimes so tempting uh, to kind of throw up our hands and say, you know, this, this is too much, I'm done. But let me encourage you that God knows the troubles of our hearts. God knows the fears that we have. Please do not neglect what is important, the worship of our God and Savior due to the fear of the uncertainty of the times. I wanna encourage everyone not to walk away. I feel now, now more than ever we need to come together maybe not always in person, but certainly in spirit, taking advantage of the technology at our means when appropriate, to grow in our faith and in our knowledge of him who binds us together and sustains us. The branches need to be connected to the tree and to each other. Romans 15, five through six says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That should be our prayer this morning. Um, if you will look at the bulletin that Andrea provided, uh, there's obviously announcements that you can read. Um, uh, the youth group will still be meeting uh, this uh, today. Um, I don't believe we're doing pizza, so make sure you try to eat something before that, and mask will be strictly uh, enforced, so make sure you bring a mask. Um, the congregational meeting, which was supposed to be today, will now be next Sunday. It's very important that everybody comes to that so that we have uh, not only a quorum, but so that everybody can participate in that process. Um, the Christmas Eve candlelight service is still scheduled for Thursday, December 24th at Harper Park at 5 p.m. Uh, I, for one, am looking forward to seeing everybody there, and I hope you'll make plans to attend that. Um, other than that, there's other uh, announcements you can read. All of them are important, but they're right there in front of you. Today would have been our uh, Advent wreath lighting and our reading, and my family was supposed to be with me, but um, I know that they are watching, and so I'm going to read the Advent reading uh, today, uh, just myself. This is from Luke 2, 15 through 20, and it's the story of the shepherds. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. 
And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let's open up in prayer. Father God, we thank you so much that you have given us this time online together as a church family, and we pray that you would bless this time, uh, that you would reach through your spirit into the hearts of people, wherever they're at, however they're watching, whether it's on computers or TVs or phones, that you would just reach into their hearts and quicken their hearts to praise you and to worship you. You are not contained in a building. You are not contained on a screen. You are all-powerful. You are all present, and you fill our hearts with your spirit so that we might praise and glorify you. And so I pray that today that would be the case. Let the words that we say, the words that we sing, let the sermon that we hear be to your glory. And let it proclaim to the world, to all who may be watching through this live stream, that you are the one and only true God, and that you are mighty and worthy to be praised. Father God, we we do pray for the Mottman family um, and pray that they are able to watch today and that they are blessed. And we pray for their health. And so, Father, during this time of our worship service, be with them as well. And we ask all this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Please join with me and Eli on the piano once again as we are singing. So let's sing, as with gladness, men of old. Where they need no star to guide 
amid the winter snow.
next we're going to sing the song that we sang last week, the new song called Emmanuel. Um, the words are again in the bulletin for you to follow along with.
time in our service now to offer <clears throat> prayers and praise for our Lord. Just have to get my notes back here. Sorry about that. Um, so we're going to enter into a time of worship through prayer. So if you would, again, look at your bulletins for that. And let me put on the microphone. I've got newfound respect for our pastors who have to do this. That's very hard to remember everything. So, <clears throat> microphone on. All right. Worship through prayer. Um, as you'll see in your bulletin, these prayers are adapted from the books Every Season Prayers by Dr. Scotty Smith, teacher in residence at West End Community Church in Nashville, Tennessee, and also from a book of prayers, A Prayer for Every Chapter of the Bible by Reverend Stephen McGee, Exeter Presbyterian Church in Exeter, New Hampshire. <clears throat> um, Obviously, uh, the congregation will pray in unison the parts that are in bold print, but since I don't have a congregation necessarily in front of me, I'll also be reading those out loud, but follow along with me. Uh, so let's read uh, this verse from first, these verses from 1 Peter. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Lord, in Jonah 2, our text for today, we learn that your son called out to you from the belly of Sheol, and you heard his cry. He trusted you fully. Though he died for our sins, you brought up his life from the pit, for he had authority to lay down his life and authority to pick it back up again. He has vowed to give to you the fullness of your kingdom of grace. What he has vowed, he will surely give. Lord, hear our prayer. Heavenly Father, on this second Sunday of Advent, we recognize that this season has just begun and we are praying that it will be a season marked more by quietness than busyness. If we're going to be busy with anything, may it be with quieting our hearts, focusing our gaze on you and setting our affections on things above. Lord, hear our prayer. Lord, grant us the same care the prophets invested in searching out the promises of your coming. May old scripture come alive in profoundly new ways during this Advent season. Humble and gladden our hearts with the realization that the prophets were serving us when they spoke of your coming, your sufferings and the glories that would follow. Lord, hear our prayer. We will never cease giving you thanks for those you sent into our lives to preach the gospel to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and bring even greater freedom to our hearts and glory to yourself. We pray with Advent longing in the wonders of your love and the trustworthiness of your name. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you as broken people needing your grace and your mercy in our lives. If Advent teaches us anything, it's that we need you as our Savior and that you came to offer that salvation. And in that salvation, we can have life and we can have it abundantly. And so we pray, Father, that during this season, you would speak to our hearts, that the words that we hear in the services, 
that devotions we may read, that songs we hear on the radio, all would attest to your glory and your grace and the coming of your son Jesus who came for us, who died for us, rose for us, and the spirit of whom dwells within our hearts. I pray that during this time of the Christmas season that we would be focused on others the way that your son was focused on us and continues to be focused on us. Help us to turn our hearts not on what we will receive this season, but what we can give to others this season. Help us to be a light and a mercy to those in our midst, those maybe who are suffering from loss of jobs or from sickness or from uh, being away from family members that they haven't been able to see in a long time. We pray for those that are sick and those that are shut in. We pray for uh, those who are not sure how this Christmas season is going to play out and whether they really want to see what the new year has to bring. Father, there's so much hurt and suffering right now due to COVID and due to everything that goes with it that we just pray that you would act sovereignly in the lives of your people and in the creation that you have made and that you would put your hand upon this world, Father, and heal us of these COVID sicknesses, that you would make the vaccine that is being made effective and that you would strengthen the doctors and health workers that will be administering that and continue to, to minister to, and help the sick and the needy. But we pray that your sovereign hand would be upon this situation as it is, Father, but that you would continue to bless us during this time. We pray that with everything going on, that you would be with this nation that we live in as we go from, from one president to another, perhaps, and as there's going to be um, just, just unrest and things that go along with that, Father. We know that no matter who is in office in the White House, Father, that your Son sits upon the throne. And as believers, we can have faith and confidence that you have our best interest at heart and that you guide and direct this world. And so help us, Lord, to take confidence in that. Help us to not be afraid. Help us to not maybe rejoice overly much in the change especially for those who, who are not um, as comfortable with it. Just be with us, Father, as a nation. Help us to draw together on the things that matter and help us as a nation to turn back to you in our worship of you. I pray especially today uh, for the Mottman family and for all other families that might be suffering from COVID. I pray that you would heal them, Father, that you would put your hand upon their, their bodies, upon their, their illness, and that you would take that away from them. Help them to recover uh, hope uh, that not to get worse. I pray, Lord, that you would uh, just act sovereignly in their life and bring comfort to them. Help us as a church body to minister to them in any way that we can and to be with all others that maybe are suffering from the same, same sickness, Father. I pray for your, your word today that it would go out and ring out through the airwaves and it, that it would resonate in the hearts of the people that hear it. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jonah and the message and the example that we find in Jonah that speaks of your son and what your son came to do and has done in our lives. I ask that you'd be with, with Dr. Silvernail as he brings forth this message. Father God, we thank you for his time and dedication in putting the message together. And we just pray that you'd bless his um, his speaking, give him strength, give him security in his speaking. We pray, Lord, that you would 
comfort him in his distress and also the distress that, that Frank Wong also feels as the church is, is not together today. Um, as pastors of a flock, we know that they, they suffer as the body suffers. And so we pray that you would be with them today and help them to minister to the congregation and to the youth group and to all who need to hear your word. Father God, we're so thankful for your blessings. We're so thankful for your mighty hand. And we just pray in confidence knowing that you hear us, that our word does not uh, go away from us or return empty, and that you hear our prayers and that you act sovereignly in our lives. And so we lift this up to you, and we thank you. And we just ask all these things in Jesus' name. And if you will, respond with me in unison. O God, all of these spoken requests and all of our unspoken requests, we present to you in the caring name of Jesus Christ, your Son, our Savior. Amen. Join with me as we read our confession of assurance and a pardon. Let's all read together. Heavenly Father, loving King, our thoughts and motives cannot be hidden from your sight. Our self-pity and pride, our cowardice and sloth, our anger and envy are laid before your eyes and ours. We open ourselves to you and ask that you cover us in Christ. Let us hear your voice saying, his blood is our peace, his death is our freedom, his spirit our power, his smiting our safety. And let our hearts know that your service is perfect freedom. Amen. Please take a moment and just confess privately your sins and offer them up to the Lord. Amen. And listen to this word from Romans 8, the assurance of our pardon. Leader, uh, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed is interceding for us. Amen. This is our time of offering. Normally we would um, collect an offering at this point, um, but of course being uh, live streaming, please feel free to, to send your offerings to the church offices. I'd like you to take this moment to listen and reflect as we have some special music for you today. So please take a moment to enjoy the music, but also to lift your hearts and your minds in praise and adoration to our Lord. Never in a million lives 
He saw with his own eyes the message from the angel come to life. And Joseph said, Why? I'm just a simple man of trade. Why then with all the rulers in the world? Inside of this stable filled with hay, why burns just an ordinary girl? Now I'm not one to second guess what angels have to say, but this is such a strange way. Again, and here we are. Now, as Thomas told you, uh, this was not the plan, but this is what the Lord has given us. So, we will uh, worship as well as we can today. With that being said, if you would turn with me to the book of Jonah, chapter 2, as we go through this unexpected joy, a Christmas with Jonah, this Advent season. I'm actually going to start at the last verse of chapter 1, so Jonah 1.17 through Jonah 2.10. And as always, 
Please listen carefully as this is God's word. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God, when my life was fainting away. I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word, and we need it this Advent season. Thank you for giving us the scriptures and making us your people. Once again, we thank you, especially for the book of Jonah. We thank you for this prophet, this extraordinary thing that happened to him in your sovereign power and grace. Come, Holy Spirit, illuminate our understanding, give us hearts to believe all that you have written. Help us to know you better and love you more through Jonah chapter 2. And so we pray, have mercy on us this morning. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, help us see Jesus. For in his name we pray, amen and amen. Some of you will remember a great tragedy from 10 years ago when the San Jose mine in Chile uh, collapsed on August 5th, 2010. At that time, it trapped 33 miners for a record-breaking 69 days. The entire world watched uh, what transpired above ground during this grueling and protracted rescue. But the story of the miners' experiences below the Earth's surface and the lives that led them there has been little heard since their rescue. Even while they were still buried, they all agreed that if by some miracle any of them escaped alive, they would only share their story collectively. Hector Tobar was the author they chose to hear and to tell that story, and his book, Deep Down Dark, tells the story of the Chilean miners buried underground between 2,000 feet of rock. 
These 33 men of the A-shift came to think of the mind as a kind of coffin and as a kind of church where they sought redemption through prayer. They were stuck in a cavern that inflicted thunderous oral torment, oral A-U-R-A-L, a constant assault on their hearing. And they were trapped in a large space including a room they called the refuge where the noise wasn't as loud. They had no idea if anyone would come for them. And together they faced and feared certain death, spent weeks preparing to die, and watched what scant food they had slowly disappear. And one of them looks around at the would-be tomb and feels a generous wonder, a near reverence that transforms this dark pit of death into sacred ground. And he wrote a letter to be left behind, and he signed it, Mario Sepulveda, lived here from August 5th to October 13th. Now, on that first day, August 5th, as they realized they were trapped with no rescue imminent, there was a Christian man among them named Don Jose Enrique. And he turned to Mario and he whispered, God is the only way out of this. And before all the other miners, Mario announced, Don Jose, we know you are a Christian man and we need you to lead us in prayer. Will you? And from that moment forward, Don Jose became known as the pastor to his fellow miners. Because as soon as he opened his mouth and began to talk, it's clear that he knows how to speak to God and how to speak of God. So Don Jose dropped to his knees and tells the men that they should do so too. Because when you pray, you have to humble yourself before your creator. And he prays. He starts, We aren't the best men, Lord. But, Lord, have pity on us. It's a simple statement. But it strikes several of the miners hard. We aren't the best men. Victor Segovia knows that he drinks too much. Victor Zamora is too quick to anger. Pedro Cortez thinks about the poor father. He's been to his young daughter. He left the girl's mother. He hasn't even been visiting his little girl even though he knows his absence is inflicting a lasting hurt on her. Don Jose continues, Jesus Christ our Lord, let us enter the sacred throne of your grace. Consider this moment of difficulty of ours. We are sinners and we need you. Just about everyone who is at the entrance to the refuge or inside is now down on their knees. Enrique is a man of God, and suddenly here in this tomb, the religious severity that many of them found annoying during the everyday encounters of the A-shift is exactly what they need. Enrique continues, We want you to make us stronger and to help us in this hour of need. There's nothing we can humanly do without your help. We need you to take charge of this situation. Please, Lord, take charge of this. Deep down dark brings to 
haunting tactile life. The experience of being imprisoned inside a mountain of stone. The horror of being slowly consumed by hunger and the spiritual and mystical elements that surrounded working in such a dangerous place. And in its stirring final chapters, the book captures the profound way in which the lives of everyone involved in the disaster were forever changed. And when the giant drill finally bore its way down to them and opened a way for fresh air and communications and light, one of the first things the rescue team did, not knowing what they would find, was to drop a camera down so they could see the miners. And the first thing they found was Mario Sepulveda on his knees in reverence. Now, I'm not sure what's worse, 69 days in a collapsed mine or three days in the belly of a great fish. The miners developed a great love for each other. They had the faith of Don Jose and hope for a rescue from above. Jonah had no one, and just a little faith and even less hope. But a little faith was just enough. This Advent, we're studying Jonah. We've seen that Jonah was called to preach in the great city of Nineveh, he refused and fled from God, and God sent a storm to reclaim him, and the storm made things so bad that Jonah was thrown overboard into the sea. And while he was sinking down into the depths, he was swallowed by a great fish. And the result is, in the belly of the deep, Jonah prays a prayer of faith. And even with just a little faith, God answers him. So let's turn to our text for this morning, Jonah chapter 2. So we have the context. We're going to back up a verse. We'll start at Jonah 1, 17, which tells us why he called out for the Lord. And if you have the sermon outlined there, that'll be the first blank in it. He called out for the Lord. Hear it again. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. Now, one of the problems with the book of Jonah is a lot of us think we know this story, but we really don't. If you actually you know, go out and did a man-on-the-street interview and you ask the average person about the book of Jonah, they'll tell you it's a story about Jonah and the whale. And they'll insist the whale's name is Monstro and Jonah is running away from Geppetto because he wants to be a real boy. People get a little fuzzy on these details. But the story doesn't use the word whale, and that's significant. And Monstro and Geppetto are from Pinocchio. Although the author of The Adventures of Pinocchio, Carlo Collodi of Florence, Italy, admitting, admitted to borrowing uh, that scene from Jonah. However, there is a word that is associated with God throughout the story of Jonah, and that's the word great. When Jonah runs the other way, the Bible says God sends a great wind and it produces a great storm. The pagan sailors 
uh, are converted through a great fear. And then God appoints a fish for Jonah. And what's the adjective the Bible uses to describe the fish? Jonah 1.17. It's a great fish. God is doing something great in this story. On the other hand, up to now, Jonah messes everything up. And if the word associated with God is great, the word associated with Jonah is down. God says, go to Nineveh. Jonah goes down to Joppa. And then Jonah went down into a ship going to Tarshish. And while in the ship, Jonah goes down into the inner part of the ship to sleep. Eventually, he's thrown overboard and he goes down into the sea. And as we all know, he ends up going down into a great fish. And when Jonah finds himself in the great fish, he has now truly hit bottom. A lot of times people come to me and they say they've hit bottom. And usually I say, oh, no, it can get much worse. Repent now. You have no idea how far down God can take you. Well, Jonah did. You know, in the minds of the Israelites, you can't get any lower than the sea. It is a place of great fear. It is a place of death. So what does Jonah do while he's in the fish? He prays. From the guts of the fish, Jonah prays to the Lord his God. He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. Jonah has hit bottom. And from the belly of Sheol, which means the place of death, he physically and emotionally cries out, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. Now keep in mind, Jonah's gone a long time without honestly uh, praying, uh, praying to God, praying at all. He had received a word from the Lord to go to Nineveh, but he goes down to Joppa instead. He didn't pray about going to Joppa. He gets on a ship to Tarshish. He didn't pray about whether or not he should get on the ship. Jonah's not talking to God at all, at least not honestly. That is, not until he ends up in a great fish. Now, why does Jonah pray in the fish? Well, at least from a very pragmatic standpoint, he has nothing else to do. Think about it. What else are you going to do while you're in a great fish? He has nowhere else to turn. And let me share something that may be a little humbling. Do you know why so often we have such a hard time praying? It's because we have so many other things to do. We have so many crutches to lean on, so many screens to turn to, so many noises that we allow into our lives, all to avoid uh, having to face what's going on in our minds. We don't pray because we have other things to do. And the same was true for Jonah. But God brings Jonah down, down to a place of desperation and a great fish. The whole first chapter of Jonah, as we saw last week, is filled with human action. Uh, Jonah makes plans, Jonah has resources, Jonah's going places, and all those plans turn out disastrous. But then the storm hits, and Jonah's story just grinds to a halt. And in the second chapter of Jonah, there's no human action at all, just a prayer. It's only when Jonah hits the rocky bed bottom of the sea 
that actually good things start to happen to him. He comes to realize that what looks so bad, hitting bottom, is the best thing that's ever happened to him because it's brought him back to a God who's doing great things. Jonah was apparently the only one of the ship's passengers who hadn't prayed during the storm. And he who avoided praying now shows himself to be a master of prayer. Kind of like driving, prayer is learned through practice. And from this prayer, it's clear that Jonah normally prayed a great deal more than we may have thought. Now, to be honest, there's a lot of disagreement among uh, Bible scholars over Jonah's prayer. Some think his prayer, verses 2 through 9, is profoundly disappointing. One writer said it's shallow and inferior to the prayers it's based on. But in that statement, there's a clue to its value. You see, Jonah's prayer is special because it's based largely on passages from the Psalms. Jonah's prayer is not only based on a number of Psalms, but he copies some of those verses verbatim. And from this prayer, we can learn how to use the scriptures and how to make what they say part of our own spiritual possession. Let's look at verse 2. It says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Compare that with Psalm 120, verse 1. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. I think that gives this prayer strength. Jonah had apparently memorized a lot of psalms, making them part of his intimate spiritual possession. In fact, this prayer is as much a psalm as it is a prayer. And so like the psalmist, he looked to the Lord. Verses 3 through 6, he looked to the Lord. It says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up. You brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. There is an online devotional that I've really come to appreciate. Actually, it's a match set. He Reads Truth is written by men for men. And She Reads Truth is written by women for women. But they cover the exact same subjects and they use the exact same verses every day. And for those who are wondering, yes, I read both of them. It's mostly written by Reformed folks. And the devotional on this passage uh, found on She Reads Truth was written by a woman named Missy Fuller. She's the woman's Bible and reference editor for Lifeway Christian Resources. Listen to what she has to say when she came to Jonah chapter 2. She writes, the last thing I want to do is pray. Weeks after my college graduation, I was diagnosed with depression. It came crashing in like Jonah's storm, and without much warning, I found myself in a, in a pit. Maybe you've been there too, in that place you can't quite explain, marked by sorrow and shame. I had been walking with Jesus for most of my life, but I had lost all hope. I was caught in a tangle of darkness and despair. A friend 
encouraged me to press into Jesus. I wondered if I still knew what that meant. I was so painfully lost in shame and confusion that even the thought of picking up my Bible caused a wave of emotion I couldn't bear to face. A part of me knew my friend was right. I needed Jesus more than anything, especially in the pit. But the lies were screaming at me so loudly, drowning out my best intentions, even turning my sorrow into physical pain. I just couldn't drag myself into his presence. She writes, I wonder if Jonah shared those same feelings of despair. He knew his sin had caused the storm, but I wonder if he thought the fish was how God was going to end his life. Jonah is in the pit, quite literally in the depths. He's at the bottom of the ocean inside a beast. Yet Jonah prayed from inside the fish, from the lowest of lows. But she asks, did Jonah want to pray? Did he sit there pouting for two and a half days and then finally admit his mistake only to be immediately spit out on dry land? Or did he call on the Lord right away and then wait in silence for three days? Did Jonah pray because he felt his own brokenness? Or just because that's what a good Christian man's supposed to do? So whether out of contrition or habit, whether on entering the pit or on his way out, Jonah looked to the Lord. I love that. See, one of the things she discovered is one of the reasons Jonah's prayer is so special is he prayed under extremely difficult circumstances. His death seemed certain, no hope of rescue, and yet he prayed. He knew it was wise to pray because there's nothing God can't do. Even when our situation is desperate, even when it seems like we're in the belly of the fish, we're not beyond the reach of God's mighty hand. But in this situation, what do you say? You say what you know. And in Jonah's case, he knew the Psalms. Look with me. Look at verse 3. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. Now compare that with Psalm 69 too. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. The end of verse 3. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Compared with Psalm 42.7. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Look at verse 4. And then I said I am driven away uh, from your sight. Psalm 31.22. I had said in my alarm I am cut off from your sight. You can do that with every verse in this prayer. But Jonah did more than pray. He also looked, end of verse 4. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. And he says it again in verse 7. Why is looking upon the temple so important? The temple is where the holy of holies is. The temple is where the ark of the covenant is. The temple is where the mercy seat is at the ark of the covenant inside the Holy of Holies. And the mercy seat is where propitiation is made, where atonement is made, where your sins are paid for. And when Jonah looked to the temple, what he's actually looking to, possibly without even knowing it, is Jesus. Because it says about Jesus in Romans 3, 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Propitiation is the same word that's used to describe the mercy seat. Jesus is the mercy seat. Jesus is the substitute. Jesus is the good news. Are you worried that things are out of control today? We're back online, not where we wanted to be. It seems that coronavirus is getting worse, not what we want to see happen. More people going to the hospital. And it's really easy to fear the world is out of control. And I think it's important for us to come to understand what does it mean to look upon your holy temple. It means that we go to God. And we say, look, the world looks like it's out of control, but you're my father. If I'm completely accepted freely by grace because of Jesus' substitutionary sacrifice on my behalf, then I know my father is in charge of this, and I'm not going to sit around scared because I'm afraid the world is out of control. That's what Jonah did. He looked upon your holy temple. And when he did, he remembered the Lord. Verses 7 through 9, he remembered the Lord. Starting at verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah's heart is softening, and for the first time, he acknowledges God's grace. And finally, he's ready to listen and to and obey God. Look again at verses 8 and 9. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah finally sounds like a prophet as he keys in on this problem of idolatry. And idolatry isn't just an ancient problem. Today we regularly find ways to substitute gods for ourselves. It's human nature. John Calvin said the human heart is an idol factory. You see, idolaters make the fatal error of thinking that they're capable of providing what only grace can supply. In the book of Jonah, obviously the Ninevites are gross idolaters, but so were the sa- <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> so were the sailors with Jonah. If you remember them in chapter one on the boat, they collected little gods like seashells. And of course, so is Jonah himself, the reluctant prophet, because he tries to follow his own course rather than God's. And yet this prayer, Jonah's prayer, holds out hope. Grace is resisted only to the point that people are still clinging to their idols. And so grace comes, even to a man like Jonah, who's running full tilt from God. And he speaks in verse 8, he says, "...of those who pay regard to vain idols." Think about this. Idol worshipers are the people that God had called Jonah to go to 
in Nineveh. And then he says something remarkable about them, that idolaters forsake their hope of steadfast love. The Hebrew word for God's steadfast love is hesed. It means his redeeming, unconditional grace. This term's been used to describe God's relationship with Israel, his people. But now Jonah says that idol worshipers, not God's people, those terrible people in Nineveh, are forsaking their own hope of grace. It has come to him like a thunderbolt that God's grace is just as much theirs as it is his. Why? Because grace is grace. If it's truly grace, then no one's worthy of it at all, and it makes everybody equal. And with that realization, he says, salvation belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to any race or class of people, nor do religious people deserve it more than the non-religious or the false religious. It doesn't come from any quality or merit in us at all. Salvation is always and only from the Lord. Some have called this text, verse 9, the central verse of the entire Bible. At a minimum, it expresses with great simplicity the main point of the Bible. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And Jonah didn't make that up either. It comes from Psalm 3.8. Salvation belongs to the Lord. So does Jonah's reluctance remove him from God's grace? No. Will Nineveh's horrific history exempt them from God's grace? No. And that's one of the key messages of this book. Jonah says in verse 7, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. Now, I've met people, and, and perhaps you have too. They grew up in church. They listened to their mother's prayers. They learned the catechism. They went to youth group. But then they rebelled. They went off to college, and they rebelled, and some of them rebelled big time. And for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, they rebelled. And they lived out in the world until God brought them to the end of themselves. And then all of a sudden, they remembered. They remembered the Lord. They remembered the things they'd been taught. And that's what Jonah is doing. He remembers. The great pastor and author A.W. Tozer said, In every generation, the people who have found God have been those who've come to the end of themselves. Recognizing their hopelessness, they've been ready to throw themselves on the mercy and grace of a forgiving God. And so humility replaces the arrogance of idolatry, and grace comes. Even to Nineveh, even to Jonah, God will go to great lengths to see this happen. And he's obviously not above using extraordinary measures to shower his grace on undeserving people like Jonah, like the Ninevites, and like us. And that brings us to the last verse, verse 10, the answer of the Lord. The answer of the Lord, verse 10, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Remember Missy Fuller, the devotional writer caught in a tangle of darkness and despair? She ends her devotional on this chapter by writing, The God who heard Jonah's cries hears yours and mine. 
no matter the pit we find ourselves in, no matter how we got there. The God of the Incarnation who took on flesh to rescue his people, that God always comes after us. He uses whatever means necessary to bring us out of the pit, even if that pit is the belly of a great fish. Like the Lord pulled Jonah out of that fish and onto dry land, God pulled me up out of my own pit one slow inch at a time. In time, I was able to turn to him in prayer. Painful though the process was, my only regret is I didn't call out to him sooner. She goes on, Have you ever wondered if the Lord's hand can reach as far as you've fallen? Read Jonah's story and have hope. God truly is faithful. He never gives up on us. Whether you're new to the pit or you've been waiting on his deliverance for some time now, approach his throne with the confidence that he hears you and will answer you. The God who left heaven to pursue you and rose from the pit to redeem you has not forgotten you. I love that. You see, Prayer looks away from the self and puts the whole focus of life back upon the Lord. It removes us from the center of our lives. And as with Jonah, when we pray with a repentant heart, we find ourselves acknowledging God. We see him as our father, as the sovereign God who ordains all the circumstances of our life, as our deliverer who brings our lives up from the pit of destruction, as our salvation. Jonah's prayer inside the fish reveals the grace capable of changing him. His opportunity comes when the fish spits him out and once again the Lord speaks. And God's grace is going to give him a fresh start. Jonah's story is simple. Jonah, a child of God, ran from his father. God pursued his child on the wings of a storm. The storm, of course, forced Jonah to reconsider his running. This short book is a record of those difficult days. And as he reflects on those events, he confesses. In verse 4, he felt abandoned by God. He said, I am driven away from your sight. And we have the same tendency to think that during times of crises, God is distant or removed. Sometimes we even interpret his silence as indifference. And Jonah reminds us that God's presence enables us to endure the trials we face, even the ones we create through our own disobedience. Leonard Sweet tells a story of an unusual custom that pictures God's presence during our darkest hours. He writes this, One tribe of Native Americans had a unique practice for training young braves. On the night of a boy's 13th birthday, he was placed in a dense forest to spend the entire night alone. Until then, he had never been away from the security of his family and tribe. But on this night, he's blindfolded and taken miles away. And when he took off the blindfold, he was in the middle of thick woods, all by himself, all night long. Every time a twig snapped, he visualized a wild animal ready to pounce. Every time an animal howled, he imagines a wolf leaping out of the darkness. Every time the wind blows, he wonders what more sinister sounds it's masking. There's no doubt it was a terrifying night. 
And after what seems like an eternity, the first rays of sunlight enter the interior of the forest. And looking around, the boy sees the flowers, the trees, the outline of the path. And then to his utter astonishment, he beholds the figure of a man standing just a few feet away, armed with a bow and arrow. It's the boy's father, and he has been there all night long. In the same way, God never forsakes his children, even when we disobey him, and he wants us back. In this study of Jonah, we have seen, we will continue to see, that all Christians need to periodically examine their spiritual lives to see if we've drifted from God. We know that God's willing to do whatever it takes, great fish included, to revive our hearts and bring us back. How can you know God's saving love is true for you? How can you know that you've not run too far from God? Well, mostly because salvation never depended on you in the first place. Salvation is found entirely in the Messiah that God has provided, the Lord Jesus Christ. He sacrificed himself in order to calm the storm of God's wrath against you. Now, it doesn't mean all your problems go away. It doesn't mean you'll never suffer again. But it does mean that as you place your trust in Christ, God forgives you and restores you to a right relationship with him. And here's the beautiful part. When God restores you, he not only forgives you of your sin, but he promises to give you a new heart and give you his spirit so that slowly but surely your will begins to align with his. It's not that our hearts are instantly made perfect, but progressively and increasingly we begin to live as we were meant to live, gladly responding to his kind and loving rule, willingly uh, living according to his good purpose for our lives until that day when Christ returns, when all that is wrong with this world and with our hearts is forever destroyed and we will stand before God perfected and glorified. And on that day, living in a world free from suffering and pain under the loving reign of our great King, we will discover that every single thing our all-loving and all-powerful God wants for us will be perfectly aligned with everything we would want for ourselves. That's the hope of Advent. That's what we're waiting for. Think about this. Because of persecution against Christians, the early church in Rome met for worship in a place called the catacombs. The catacombs were tombs, underground burial places. That seems like an odd place to grow the church. But they had to do it because of persecution. They had to be in a hidden place. You've heard of the phrase, the underground church. This is where that phrase comes from. And the first art inspired uh, by Jesus is not art that appeared in great cathedrals or in enormous frescoes. It was etched on the walls of tombs hidden underground in catacombs. And which Old Testament figure is found etched on the walls of the catacombs more than anyone else from the Old Testament? Not Abraham, the father of Israel, not Moses, the lawgiver, not David, the great king. It's Jonah. He's everywhere on those walls because he reminds them that deliverance is coming. They knew resurrection was coming. They knew the third day was coming. They knew that salvation belongs to the Lord. 
Now, if you're not a Christian, this is a salvation you can know. You live in a fallen world, and on your own, your story cannot end well for you. You're drowning in a storm, and there's nothing you can do to save yourself. But there is a God, and he has made a way for you. But it means you need to call out to him. Will you pray to him? And if you're already a Christian, this is the salvation you stand in. No matter how long you've been a Christian, no matter how righteous you think you are, salvation does not and has not ever depended on you. We have something far better than that. We are those who have made a mess of our lives, but God is the one who saves. And our lives now should reflect the commitment of Jonah. When my life was fading away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. With a voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That's the response of a heart that's experienced God's grace. Is that your heart? Are you convinced from the bottom of your heart that God is the only one who can save you? Not your idols, not your dreams, not your best efforts, but God and God alone. And that means today is the day to stop running. Today is the day of salvation. For if salvation belongs to the Lord, then those who are saved belong to him too. Think about that. You need to pray. Take a moment to do that, and then I'll close. Let's pray together. Our Lord and our God, thank you that you have spoken to us by your Son. Open our eyes that we might see our sin and then see our Savior. We thank you for Jonah. We see ourselves revealed in his life. There are lessons, Lord, that we fear we need to learn. Make us ready to learn them, whatever the cost, whatever the pain, because we want to love you more than we do and we want to serve you better than we do. Now bless us, we pray. Write these things upon our hearts. Help us to flee to the one greater than Jonah, that we may know his cleansing grace and marvelous love. We ask these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Please join us as we sing our closing song today, One Small Child.
For the benediction today, this unusual day, we have three more verses from the Psalms. Hear God's word. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice. And my cry to him reached his ears. So I look toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. God bless you and hopefully I'll see you next week.